Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and good evening, everybody, or whatever time zone you happen to be in. Um, welcome to our second uh, information corner with the Information Referral and Peer Support Steering Committee, or ERPS, as I love to call it. So welcome to our second month doing our information corner. We hope this will be a, a very long-lasting monthly event, but um, we're excited you're here with us tonight. Um, so... For those of you who don't know, October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, or NDEAM for short. And so we thought it would be appropriate for our information topic this month in NDEAM to be all about employment. So we have two great guests tonight who are going to be speaking all about Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act and what, what that talks about and what accommodations are. So I'm going to step aside because I'm merely the, the head of the, the ERPS committee, but I am not the expert to talk tonight. So without further ado, do our, our guests want to introduce themselves? And one more thing I should say, um, start, start thinking of questions as our presenters talk and then toward the end, we will have time for Q&A on the topic. So you will have time to, to get questions answered. So feel free to write those down or keep them in your head and we will have Q&A at the end. So without further ado, take it away, Rosanna and Chris. Hi, welcome to our Tuesday night community call. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Claire, for inviting Chris and I to be a part of the community call. Um, I'd just like to tell you something a little bit about myself. I was originally an undergraduate psychology major, and then I went on to complete my MBA at Colorado Technical University, concentrating in human resource management. And I've had a number of different jobs uh, along the way as I actually began working as a director of religious education. And I've kind of gone from that to a broad spectrum of customer service and receptionist work as well, which is kind of interesting because it's very, very different. They're very, very different worlds. We, we will talk about the importance of the ADA as it applies to both employee and employer, the HR perspective. And Chris will talk to us about the ADA from the legal side of that. We actually will look at this from the view of the prospective employee. And the reason for that is because you're the one looking for a job. You're the one who's looking for employment. And so the most important thing here to realize is that the Americans with Disabilities Act is something that gives you a tool. It is a guideline. It isn't going to get you a job. It's there if you need it to fall back on. But it's, as I said, kind of a tool in your toolbox, okay, so to speak. The American with Disabilities Act is uh, important to realize that it explains the rights of individuals. It explains what is, it allows you to have the opportunity for equal employment as 
from anybody else. Okay. In other words, just because you have a disability should not take away your opportunity to have a job if you're qualified for that job. Okay. And that's really what the ADA was put into place for. It also gives you civil rights protection for people with disabilities as well. So that's really its main purpose. The other part of the Americans with Disabilities Act is accessible accommodations or what they call reasonable accommodations. Okay. And reasonable accommodations is really um, accommodations that are uh, that are needed, but that do not create undue hardship, if you want to put it, to the employer. Okay. There are rules, there are guidelines that managers, HR personnel uh, need to follow in order to implement the reasonable accommodations. And reasonable accommodations can be anything from let's say needing a screen reader, for example, like needing JAWS or Zoom text, or if you are uh, needing, if you have a service dog or uh, in this case, a guide dog, um, you might need to go break your dog at a certain time for in the afternoon. Okay. That actually is considered a reasonable accommodation, believe it or not. So, and they cannot discriminate against you if you have a guide dog, by the way. That's really not, you know, the ADA does protect you on, under that because they are allowed to go anywhere that you go, whether it's in the public eye or to employment. So um, that should not be a question at all. What I want to share with you tonight is kind of an experience that I had working for J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. And the reason why I chose to share this experience is because it illustrated for me the framework in a reality setting of what the Americans with Disability Act is really all about. It was very practical and hands-on. And I think by sharing this experience, it will give you a chance to see how the Americans with Disability Act really works in a real work live setting, okay? So I thought it would be more advantageous to do it this way. And I think when you listen to Chris, Chris's half of this conversation, much of what I'm going to share here will kind of fall into place and make sense in terms of prospective employment. I also, just a word here, um, I have to say Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase was one of the first companies uh, that really took on the Americans with Disabilities Act. They uh, did employer, I'm sorry, they did employ many people with, uh, you know, visual and other disabilities as well. Over the years, they have become, I kind of want to say, a model for other companies and corporations in terms of hiring people with disabilities. And uh, much of their 
practice came through the working together with staff and uh, managers and employees together. The key to this was a positive attitude that they had toward hiring people with disabilities. And that really made all the difference in the world because they gave them equal opportunity to do the job that they were qualified to do. And so here, I'm going to share with you my experience at Chase. At the time that I was there, I actually was working in their customer service area, believe it or not. Okay, I worked in their credit card area and then moved over to auto finance um, later down the road. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to be part of what they call the diversity board and the accessibility board. Okay, both of them are a little bit different. The diversity board was designed to uh, employ people of color and to create diversity within the corporation. The accessibility board was designed to uh, make sure that employees who had a disability were given the accommodations that they needed to have in order to fulfill their job. Um, being on both of those boards was very interesting to me and a real learning experience. I was very fortunate to have been chosen, <clears throat> excuse me, to be part of those two boards. It was a great experience for me. Here is what, what we did. Our our job on both of these boards was to make sure that things were implemented in the way that they should be. Okay, so here is an example. If we hired somebody who was visually impaired or blind, okay, and they needed special accommodations such as, okay, using JAWS as a screen reader or using Zoom text if they had vision and they could do that as well. Okay, if they had an issue or a problem with that program, for example, let's say they went to work one day and all of a sudden I get there, I sit at my computer, I go to turn on, log in, and guess what? Oops, JAWS doesn't work. Uh-oh, what do I do now? Okay, so basically at this point, we would have to go and make sure that the IT team would come in and fix it. So a lot of times there was an educational process here as well, because in many cases you needed to explain to both the supervisor and the manager and possibly the team that this individual might be working on about the reasons for the accessible accommodations and why they needed to have patience and allow this person to utilize these accommodations that are there for them. So that was part of what we did. Now, here is this person who is at work, can't use their computer. Well, they can, but they can't hear what they need to hear. So basically, we would get in touch with the IT department 
And a lot of times that was not always easy because they were all over the place. But we kind of had to make it a priority. And it was like, hey, we have somebody over here who can't fulfill their job right now. We need you to come over and get this program up and running. And so that is basically what would happen. And sometimes we did have to wait for them to come. But uh, eventually they did. As a follow-up, we would be there to follow up with the managers and the supervisors that it had been done and that the case had been closed and that the individual is now able to perform their necessary duties. So that was basically what that was about. Um, On the other side, on the diversity side, uh, basically that was uh, an experience where we did make sure that we hired a certain number of people of color um, so that there would be a diversity or diversified working situation. And I have to say, Chase is still that way today. They are very conscientious about hiring people of color as well as hiring people with disabilities, whether it be visual disabilities or veterans or someone who might be wheelchair bound, who has the qualifications to fulfill this particular job. And that is something that Chris will talk about in in his presentation is um, how to deal with, you know, to deal with the uh, job aspect of it. Uh, Just a word here too, that there are, um, the, the job actually depends on you in most, in every case, you have to be able to have the qualifications to do the job that you are applying for. That's the, the first and far most important part of this. And as long as you have those qualifications and you feel that you can do this job, you're going to need to educate the interviewer or the management person that you can do this job and how you can do this job, because that is really critical. You are going to become an educational piece in a way, because let's face it, you walk in there with a job, maybe you walk in with a dog and they can't ask you, by the way, um, about your disability at that point. But they're looking at you and they're saying, okay, this person has a dog. How is she going to do this job? Okay, they can't say that out loud. But you have to kind of be upfront and let them know this is how I can do this job. Even if it means bringing your laptop with you and showing them how you use JAWS or Zoom text so that they can see that JAWS is basically your eyes for example, is really what it is. So that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. And more and more companies now are really coming on board with hiring people with disabilities, especially if they have the qualifications. And the world of hiring is going to change going forward, being that we're all in a very different situation with this pandemic. Most people are working from home now, which is a very different aspect of work 
than we've had in the past. In some ways, that can be an advantage to uh, someone who's blind or visually impaired because working from home, they can use their own computer in a lot of cases or are given a computer from work, but their uh, orientation is a little bit different. That doesn't mean that they're not going to need interception or accessibility because they because you will, okay, at some point. But that is something you need to work out with your with your employer. And uh, the other uh, caution here is that if you have a problem once you've been hired, and you know you need to address that with your immediate supervisor as well. And I think Chris will go into more detail on that. Um, I kind of hope that the overview of my experience will uh, give you a kind of a bird's eye view of what happens here with accommodations. I do want to, to say that um, when you experience what the American Disability Act is all about, it does give you a much broader perspective of what is, you know, what is out there and what is available to you. And of course, the most important part is the reasonable accommodations for most of us. But I would uh, caution you to just understand that the Americans with Disabilities Act is there as a guideline for you. It is a tool. It is not going to get you a job, but it will give you something to fall back on if you need to at some point in time. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Chris. And if at the end you have any questions, Chris and I will be glad to answer those questions for you. Chris? Thanks, Rosanna. Uh, good evening, everybody. So my name is Chris Bell. And uh, uh, as far as my experience in the work world, I've been kind of shiftless. I was a high school teacher. I was a stockbroker. And uh, for more than 40 years, I was a disability rights lawyer and was one of the lawyers who helped to write the Americans with Disabilities Act. But I'm not going to talk to you about law. What I'm going to focus on is, I think, the reality of getting a job as a person with a disability generally and as a person with a vision impairment in particular. Um, the reality is we have to compete in a sighted world. So we have to be efficient enough uh, for an employer to justify hiring us. That doesn't mean we have to be you know, the most efficient or the fastest person, but we have to be at least sufficiently efficient so that if we get the job, somebody's going to want to keep us around. And I believe that that means that in many instances, uh, we have to work longer and harder both to get the skills and education needed to get a kind of job that will last, as well as sometimes harder and longer on the job than a similarly uh, situated sighted person. Now, that's not fair, but fair is uh, where you go to eat cotton candy and watch uh, farm animals, right? So... Um, 
one of the things that we need to think about, and Rosanna uh, was a good example of this, is where might we want to work? And I submit that we are better off, if we can, to work for larger companies. Why is that? Well, they're more sophisticated. They've probably actually had training on the Americans with Disabilities Act. They have a human resources department that managers and supervisors can speak to. They probably have a reasonable accommodation budget. And many times, not always, but many times, the larger companies will be uh, companies that contract with the federal government, which means that they are obligated to take affirmative action to employ and promote people with disabilities. Um, so there's an additional uh, leverage there for us. Um, now, when we're applying for a job, we need to know a lot more about that job maybe than a sighted person needs to do. For example, um, I recommend going out, and if you think you know what kind of job you're interested in, find somebody who is doing that job. I don't necessarily mean a blind or low vision person, but find somebody doing that job and take them out to coffee and say, I really am interested in your job. I'd like to know all about it and what your experiences are. And in my experience, people like to talk about their jobs. So if you do have that opportunity, what do you need to find out? Well, you need to find out what that person does, what the, what tasks they perform uh, and how they perform them because uh, you need to start to think about what accommodation needs you might need because uh, of the way a sighted person does the job may not be the way you or I would be able to do the job. So you need to know the essential functions of the job and the tasks, and you need to know something about what software they use. Now, bear in mind, even the most uh, uh, conscientious person that you're going to have coffee with is probably not going to rattle off everything. I mean, there might be some ancillary tasks of filling out expense reports, uh, doing something for accounting or whatever that, you know, it's not a serious part of the job, but nonetheless, there's software and you got to use it. Well, you're not going to know about that and you're probably not going to be told about it. But you want to focus on the core duties of the job and start to think about how you might be accommodated. Secondly, you want to know what that person thinks are the knowledge, skills, and abilities and experience and need to do that job. Because if you lack any of those, then you need to go out and get them, right? And in this regard, I would say that uh, assistive technology is critical. And I want you to think about the uh, so-called ABLE accounts. These are, uh, these are accounts, ABLE is an acronym, like everything else in Washington has an acronym. It means achieving a better life experience. And ABLE accounts allow not only you, but relatives and friends to put up to $14,000 a year into an account and allow it to be invested and grow tax-free. And as long as it doesn't exceed $100,000, all right? So you can draw from this account to purchase hardware and software uh, that you might need. You can draw from the account to get uh, education, uh, whether in assistive technology or, or otherwise, uh, to enhance your job opportunities, et cetera. There are a lot of other things you can do with able accounts too. But I, I think uh, as blind and low vision people, we often don't have a lot of resources. So we need to 
gather those resources so that we can stay current um, on the job. So, let's suppose, I'm sorry. So let's suppose you've identified a job, you've talked to somebody, you have a pretty good idea what you want to do, you have a pretty good idea what the job does, um, and you apply, and son of a gun, you get an interview. So today, in the world of COVID-19, this is going to be a cyber interview. It's not necessarily a bad thing, it's just what it is. So the first thing I think we have to deal with is that uh, most of us, can't pass as fully sighted, all right? Um, even when I was early looking for a job, um, I used a white cane. I had, I had vision, I used this CCTV to enlarge and give me high contrast, et cetera. But um, whatever your level of vision, if you consider yourself low vision, the chances are that somebody is, that you're talking to is gonna notice that there's something different about you and you need to address that up front. So the question that uh, I used to get and I think a lot of people get is do I disclose? And the answer is, yeah, you disclose because if somebody's interviewing you and they're sitting there wondering why you always have your eyes closed or why your eyes are moving around, they're not listening to you and you need them to listen to you. Secondly, if they think you have a vision impairment, their primary consideration is going to be how the heck is this person on this screen going to be able to do this job if they can't see very well? Because most people have had no contact with blind or low vision people. And what they have is the societal prejudice that, you know, basically we can't do much. So our job is to educate people about what we can do and how we can do that and job. And that gets to be very tiresome because we're always educating people and it's really a pain, but it's critical in an interview. So that means your focus is gonna be, here's what you understand the job to require and here's how you can do that job. So if you got toys like a laptop with JAWS on it or a smartphone, um, a tablet, whatever, you need to bring them out and show them how you can do some of those tasks. Then it'll blow their minds. Uh, chances are pretty good that somebody will have no idea that a blind person can do those things. But that's where you prove that you are qualified for the job, all right? And assuming that you get into a discussion about the job and the duties and you talk a little about accommodation, when you get down to discussing what accommodations you think you'll need, you always have to give the caveat that as far as I know about the job, this is what I'll need, JAWS or, or a scanner or whatever, okay? But when I get on the job, should you hire me, right? I may find out that there are some other aspects of the job that I didn't know about, that nobody told me about. And that may require additional accommodation. So I may have to come back to you and ask you for some additional or other things. Now, why do I say that? Because as an employment lawyer for many years, uh, counseling large companies, I would get calls from managers and supervisors who felt that they'd been uh, kind of ripped off by a disabled person that they hired with an understanding of what that person was going to need to do their job. And then 
the person starts on the job and then come back with an additional list of stuff. And the supervisor thinks that they've been hoodwinked. Right? Well, no, they haven't been hoodwinked. No, nobody knows everything they need to have on a job until you start doing it. And so you have to explain up front that that might happen in your situation. And, and that's okay. You're, you're being straight with them, right? So um, when you've had an interview, and hopefully it'll be successful, obviously you write a thank you note. And you want to put in that thank you note nicely that uh, you appreciated the opportunity to demonstrate uh, to whoever it was you talked to uh, how you could do the job with reasonable accommodation, which included, you know, whatever you showed them. Why? Because you want a record that you talked about accommodation and that they knew you had a disability, right? That's in case you don't get the job and you don't feel like you were treated well and you complain and the employer says, I don't know you had a disability. I didn't hear anything about accommodation. That's why you send a letter like that, right? So uh, anytime that you're on, if you get the job, anytime you're on the job and you start, if you start to have problems on the job, deal with it immediately, okay? So whether it's your problems are vision related in terms of, you know, quantity or quality work, things you can't see, things you miss, or maybe it's not vision related. Whatever it is, if you're starting to have a problem, the first thing you need to do is go to your supervisor and say, hey, I'm starting to have a problem and I need some help. This will enhance uh, your uh, supervisor's view of you as somebody that's really upfront and trusting, because I guarantee you there are very few employees having problems on a job that actually go to their supervisor before the supervisors come to them. Almost never happens. So if you take the initiative to say you want help, you get uh, big time brownie points, all right? Also, if you don't do that, and act like most employees and the supervisor comes and you get counseled and then you get warned and then you get, you know, some kind of negative performance evaluation or performance improvement plan. You're already down the slippery slope, right? You can say at some point, wait, wait, it was my disability. It was my vision. But once you've failed to do the essential functions of the job adequately, um, you're you're in big trouble, all right? So you want to nip that in the bud. So you want to deal with problems up front. And if you need different or more accommodations, ask for what you need. But you need to be upfront about it and, and quick about it. Now, in terms of accommodation, we can't assume that we are the experts of all accommodations relevant to our disability. Well, yeah, we're gonna be educating the people in the company, the supervisor, the manager, but you should definitely call the job accommodation network and talk to them about the job and ask what accommodations that uh, they've actually had experience with people with different uh, kinds of vision impairments because there may be things out there that we don't know about right, that the Job Accommodation Network does. And uh, so we need to be uh, uh, armed with that knowledge. Also remember that companies like IRA uh, can be a tremendous benefit and an employer can, as an accommodation, be asked to pay for IRA so that they can, uh, so that you can see, like, like having a reader without having a reader, all right? Uh, be my eyes is another thing. So keep those things in mind because they make a big difference. Um, so, um, 
the other thing I would say is to the extent that you have conversations with the supervisor or manager, whether it's about accommodation or about the job duties or how you're doing, whatever it is, keep notes, right? I can't tell you how important that is from the perspective as an employment lawyer, because if you end up filing a charge of discrimination and, you know, a year goes by or a year and a half goes by, you're not going to remember all that stuff. And at any rate, the supervisor or manager is probably going to disagree with what you say. So if you keep contemporaneous notes, that is to say, the day that you had the conversation, you write notes, then those become a record of a conversation that can be very important for you later on if, if things go south and you end up having to file a charge of discrimination. Anyway, that's about what I had to say. And uh, I don't know, uh, Rosanna, if you want to add anything, but otherwise we can take questions. Actually, no, I, you know, I, <coughs> excuse me, thank you for touching on the notes thing, because I, <coughs> that's really a very critical thing is to keep notes. And I didn't realize that when I first started working and, um, you know, I wish that I had, and now, you know, it's, it's, I look at it very differently because I've learned from the past. So, and that's another thing that I would add is learn from your mistakes you know, if you've made mistakes before, look at them and <clears throat> and learn from those mistakes. And we all make mistakes. Making we a, all make making them. a mistake is not a you know, it's not a sin. It's exactly, exactly. Just learn from it. Just move forward. Um, and I will. I'm glad that Chris brought up the IRA thing because I have um, used IRA for many things and um, just even being part of, I'm also a, the president of Alliance Club as well. And I'm also on the ACB employment committee. And I have used IRO to create PowerPoints and that I needed for whatever I was doing. And it's a very useful tool to be able to know that that's something you can put in your toolbox and use it if you have to, even on your job. So... Uh, I, I would strongly suggest that you use IRA uh, and Be My Eyes. I've used IRA more than Be My Eyes, so I'm not as familiar as what capabilities Be My Eyes has as opposed to IRA. But I can tell you that IRA does have team viewers so they can see your computer and work through things that you might not be able to work through with JAWS. So, I mean, that, that's just my FYI. Awesome. Hmm. We do have one hand raised. Okay. Jairus Musson, you can unmute. Thank you. Hello. 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 I just wanted to find out about the, if you're getting a, a government job, that they have a, uh, a section A form or in who else uses that kind of form? Section, oh, you, you mean um, um, uh, what was for targeted disabilities? Yes, for okay. disabilities. Um, so, okay, so the targeted disability program uh, essentially uh, gives a person with a severe disability, which includes uh, blind folks, uh, an opportunity to uh, apply and be considered for a job without competing for it. 
Um, so it's a it's a good good way to get in to an agency. Uh, there will be people in the uh, human resources or personnel office at an agency that will be responsible for uh, these special. They're called special hiring authorities, and Schedule A is the one dealing with disability. And so you can call them up uh, and with regard to a, a particular job opening. And, uh, and apply for, for special consideration that way. It's good. Um, you have a longer probationary period, um, but it's a heck of a good way to get in the door. So I recommend it. Any federal agency will do that, but as far as I know, it's only in the federal government. Do we have any more hands? Um, just a sec. Peter, you can unmute yourself. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Hi. Uh, this is. Thank you. I know that. Uh, you can hear Jaws too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> This is uh, Peter Alshul from Columbia, Missouri. I'm also on the Employment Committee. Thank you, uh, both of you, for this presentation. I agree with everything that's been said, and I want to add a couple of, of wrinkles. The first wrinkle is um, Chris talked about the interview, and of course, it's important not to hide your disability during an interview. You, you, know, you should disclose it as soon as you reasonably can. The problem that I've experienced is that people um, are reluctant to talk about disability because they think it's anti-ADA law. And so the challenge that I've had, whether I get a job or not, is to sort of get them to talk about it. Because if they don't talk about it and we don't have an honest conversation about the disability and what, and what you know, and what accommodations I need and the work that can or uh, it can be done, I won't get hired. I mean, it's, it's, it's just as simple as that. So the challenge often is for me, because most of the interviews they ask, you know, give me an example of when you did this and, and what happened as a result. So sort of the behavioral interview questions. And what I have discovered is you really have to sort of weave your disability into those stories that you share um, because that is more, more likely to get people interested and less afraid to talk about disability. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is regarding technology, uh, I have worked in multiple jobs in multiple sectors and I have never worked a job where the technology was fully accessible. Never, ever, 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 ever. And the, 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 the issue is you have to find workarounds. And IRA, of course, is a great one. That wasn't around when I was doing most of my work, but that is certainly one. But I think we have to accept the fact that the technology is always changing and we just have to find ways to work around it. One, one of the things that I did was I became friendly with a tech person within the organization, you know, who, who, who you know, was sort of fascinated with the, the, the technology I used and sort of got a grip of our glimpse of how things worked and was able to sort of try things out and we were to play with things a little bit. So if you can find a friend in the, in the IT department, you will be uh, further ahead in my experience. Um, the current job I have, the technology I have is almost totally inaccessible. So I have to work with them supervisors to work around much of it. Uh, it's very frustrating. But I think the idea that you're going to you're going to work a job that the technology is fully uh, compatible, I think, is remote. And I think if we acknowledge that and find workarounds, I think we're going to be better positioned to address them. The final thing I would say um, has to do with filing claims under Title One. Uh, and 
it, there are times to do that. And I'm very grateful for the ADA. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's been enormously helpful for me and I'm grateful that it passed and I'm happy 30th birthday and all of that. But I would think long and hard before, before filing a complaint, Chris, you can, you can challenge me if I'm wrong, but the last I heard the average case lasts 18 months and 95% of the cases you lose. Uh, and so we really have to be uh, thoughtful. And I will share one other example. I had to file a complaint against my current employer for reasons I won't go into. I won the case. I got what I needed. The downside is my boss's boss will not talk to me. She literally will not. Now, you, you, do I want to, is that, is that uh, retaliatory? Maybe, but you know, it, 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 you know, you, we just, you just need to be really careful and think long and hard before filing that complaint because you will lose a lot. Even if you win, you're going to lose a lot. Um, so I just throw that out there and I'm welcome to reactions and responses. No, I think those are all good points. And I, and I think it's true. The only thing I, I would add on what you said about the interview is, you know, interviewers are taught that they have to ask everybody the same questions. Right. Um, and, but that's not true under the ADA for somebody with an obvious disability. You're entitled to ask that person, how are you going to be able to do that job? You know, tell me how you're going to do it. They may not ask that of a sighted person because they assume they know. Um, so it's a, it's a legitimate question, but even if they don't ask it, you need to address it. In other words, take charge of the interview when it comes to your vision impairment and accommodation. Don't wait for them to bring it up. You bring it up. Yeah, there'll be other parts of the interview that they're going to be in charge, but you got to be in charge of that one and, and lay it out. Another thing I would argue is this question of how you take charge. Right. Because um, if, you, if, if some, for some people, you take the, if you take the direct approach, it's going to freeze the interviewer. Because they, they've been essentially trained that you can't ask any disability-related questions at all. That's not what Title I says. I understand that. But what, what they're being trained, in my experience, is you can't ask any disability-related questions ever for any reason whatsoever. And right. that's but then that's, you're not going to get the job because that's, that's, you want to address right. the, the elephant mm -hmm. in the room. That's right. So the challenge is how do we as interviewees address that? And that's a, that's a worthwhile conversation. It's a whole other conversation to right. have. But I, I agree with you, Chris. I'm just saying we need to understand where the interviewers and where the training they're getting, which is unfortunately terrible, um, and, 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 and react accordingly. Thank you. Good point. Thank you. David Dumphy has his hand raised. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I want to speak as someone who just went through an interview. Um, I had a chance to talk to Chris and Roseanne a little bit about this beforehand because I'm in Long Island Council and such. And Chris, what Chris has had to say is really spot on. And actually, in my interview today, um, the lady was going to give me a virtual video tour of my office surroundings, which obviously would have done me no good. So it, it, would, it gave me a perfect opportunity to bring up that I was blind, that I, you know, that I was happy to demonstrate through screen share and, and how my screen reader worked to do a job. And she was very intrigued by it and even went so far to ask some questions of things she thought of as the interview was going on that maybe weren't in the initial job description. So it was really awesome. It's not always going to work that way, but I think she appreciated my candor and the fact that I was very upfront about about it. And also, in many chances, I did use my blindness to be a strength about being adaptable because certainly we have to be that and find ways to solve problems and be creative. So I used that to, as, as strengths to, to 
to, to advertise why I would be excellent at the job and show that. So, and I got a chance. It was a really awesome interview, and she thought of some things that we didn't necessarily think of initially in the interview, and we had a really good conversation about it. I don't know if I'm going to get the job, but I definitely feel I was treated fairly, and I think Chris's advice and Rosanna's advice and Peter's is spot on, and I would, um, as someone who just went through that process today, I would encourage you all to give it some thought, because it was really good, and it helped me a lot. And so thank you, Chris, for your thoughts. I should know by the end of the week if I get it, I'll let you know. So I'll I'll tell you just briefly, I I had an interview to be a stockbroker. This was back in 1984. This was before the ADA. And and the Rehab Act didn't apply to this particular employer. And uh, the first question, the manager of this uh, brokerage office asked me was, how do you put your pants on? Oh, my and goodness. I'm sitting there going, oh, I think I put them on the same way you do. Uh, you know, and it's like, so under the idea, of course, that would be a truly bizarre question. Um, but, you know, the point is that, you know, you want people to be willing to ask questions that they're curious about. And even if somebody had said, well, you know, what's wrong with your eyesight? You know, what, what's, the, what's the medical condition? Well, that's an illegal question, but I'm not going to sit there and tell them it's an illegal question because that would just tick them off and that would that would end the interview. So I might I might give them, you know, a, a little something. Oh, it's just some I got because I was extremely premature when I was born, you know, and leave it at that or something like mm-hmm. that. So the ADA gives you uh, rights and the right not to be inquired about on the basis of disability. But we have to be a little practical in interviews and, and you know, not... Uh, yell at somebody for asking a stupid or even illegal question. Yeah, We have two hands raised. Julia, you can unmute and ask your question. Julia, you're muted. Alt-A is to unmute and if you're on the PC and Command-Shift-A on a Mac. Okay. We'll go to Wes then and Julie will go back to you. Julia. Wesley Brown, yeah. Yes, uh, one of the things you talked about how we need to determine like, what accommodations we need for a job and how well we can do it and to prove to an employer that we can do this job and do it well. But my question is, how can you really know or do that? And it becomes kind of hard to sell yourself if you never did that job. You never, you know, sat behind the desk or the work position or the seat operating seat of the machine or whatever in attempt to kind of do the job to see really what accommodations you need or whether you can really do it. You know, that, that I kind of find kind of tough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you're right. It's not easy, but that's, that's why I said uh, that it, it's important before you apply for a job to find somebody doing it. So you can quiz the heck out of them oh, okay. and find out everything you can about the job and what the functions are and what, how they do the oh, tasks okay. and all that other stuff so that you're, better armed. And I would say that, that, you know, interviewers don't expect the person who is applying for the job to be an expert on the job that they're applying for. Um, I mean, it's true if somebody had a lot of experience doing the same job, but that's, that's not usually the case. So, 
everybody is kind of uh, a semi newbie. And so, but you still have to sell the person that you have the ability to do that kind of work and produce those kinds of outcomes. Um, and, you know, sure, once you get on the job, then you may have to get a shoehorn in there and fit yourself in this way and that way and with this accommodation. And as Peter said, talk to IT and all that other stuff. But people don't expect you to be an expert of a job you haven't had. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Julia, were you able to unmute? Yeah, there you are. Yeah, I think I did. Yes, you can. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, thank you. Thanks. Okay, so I'm wondering if you put, if uh, you you think I should disclose or anyone should disclose that they're, uh, well, in my case, totally blind or have a visual impairment on the application because there's always that box that says anything else, you know, you would like to tell us about your qualifications or whatever? Um, generally speaking, uh, I mean, I, I, people, t- you know, my, my wife is also totally blind, uh, has, has done that on applications. And, you know, I, I don't because uh, I want to be able to get my foot in the door and hopefully get an interview. And then I'll disclose it. But I don't know that there's really a, a, a right or wrong answer, it, it partly depends on, on you. And of course, if you do disclose it and then you never hear from the employer, um, you know, you always have the question, well, <laughs> did they, uh, did right. they, you know, did they not give me an interview because I said I was blind? All right. So, you know, it's, I, I think you have to, you certainly have to deal with it if you get the interview, but whether you put it on the application, and it also partly depends on how much, you know, extracurricular activities. And if you've done a lot of stuff for blindness organizations and been, you know, presidents and leading this and that and the other thing, then yeah, you probably want to disclose it because that's part of your, part of your experiences and your right. abilities. Right. And 10 more minutes and no okay, other hands you. are raised. Yeah. Oh, Peter has a raised hand. Whoa. Just this Peter again? No. Yes. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you all hear me? Yes. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to respond further to Wes's question. And Chris, of course, is right. You really, you know, employers don't expect you to know everything about the job. But one of the good things about, about, um, interviewing, uh, uh, doing an uh, informational interview with somebody beforehand is you have a general sense of what the job duties were, uh, are, in fact. And obviously, the other thing to do is to read the job description. Job descriptions are very interesting things. Sometimes they're real, sometimes they're not. But to the extent that they're real, if you look at the job task and your challenge is to give examples of your prior professional or volunteer life that demonstrates that you have the skills in mind that you have in mind. So, you know, if, if the issue involves um, addressing angry customers, well, maybe you don't have experience addressing angry customers, but maybe you've experienced addressing somebody else who is angry in your life and calming them down and getting them on your side to get a problem resolved. And that, those are the kinds of stories that you, you need to share. And, you, and this is one of those things I, I wish we spent more time uh, encouraging us to be better storytellers, you know, uh, because that's really what I think interviews really are for the most part, telling good stories that are relevant to the question. Um, and I, that, to me, that's really important. Um, uh, the most important part of the interview process. No, I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead, sorry. 
we have less than 10 and one more hand has been raised. Sorry. Okay. Natasha, you can unmute. Yes, hi. Um, I just have a, a quick question. Um, do you mind clearing up some of the incorrect information or some misconceived notions about what should or should not be asked in an interview? Do you mind clearing that up and, and letting letting us know like what questions are allowed, sure. but however, what questions are not allowed by an interviewer? Absolutely. So uh, an interview can ask somebody uh, about their knowledge, skills, and abilities to do a job. And if they have a disability that's obvious that might interfere with their ability to do the job, they can ask, you know, how you do it. Um, what can't they ask? Well, they can't ask uh, anything that is medical uh, directly or even indirectly. For example, they can't ask you how much sick leave you took last year because that could tend to disclose disability status. Um, you know, they, they can't ask about Family Medical Leave Act uh, taking for the, the same reason. They can't ask what drugs you're on. Um, they can ask if you've ever taken illegal drugs, right? But they can't ask what medications you're taking. Um, so anything that would tend to identify a person as having a disability is uh, is not permitted under the law. But things where the disability may interfere with the somebody doing the job, yeah, they can ask about how you do it. For example, you know, if somebody comes in and wants to apply to work on a moving truck, you know, moving furniture, and they come in and they're using a crutch. Well, you know, somebody's going to say, well, how, how are you going to move heavy furniture when you have to use a crutch? That's a perfectly legitimate question. It's, you're not asking what happened to them or what's wrong with them, mm -hmm. but you want to know how they can do the job given what's obviously there, and that's fine. In fact, you want to have that question asked because if it's not asked, you're dead in the water because <laughs> it's so obvious. I mean, you know, it's it's the elephant in the room, so you got to deal with it. The other thing I would add, uh, this is Rosanna, I would just add to what Chris was saying is know the, you know, go to their website, look at the company, see what they do, look at their mission statement, look at their overview of who they are so that when you go into an interview with that company, you also will have the opportunity to say, oh, you know, I read on your website that you have uh, whatever, um, a thousand employees. I'm just using that as an example. Um, it shows them that you not only are you interested, but that you've done the research, you've done the homework. So, I mean, that that's another really important yeah, thing to do. Point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Okay, we are about out of time. Anybody, Claire, any closing? Sorry. <laughs> sure. Um, I just want to say thank you so much to Chris and Rosanna uh, for speaking tonight. I think this is such an important topic, again, especially during National Disability Employment Awareness Month. So thank you again, Rosanna and Chris. Thanks, everybody, for coming this month. Um, come back next month for our next information corner. Our next one is actually going to be 
technically in December, but the very beginning of December, end of November. So we're kind of doing a smush between the two holiday months, but come back for our next information corner. Um, we are really glad to have you guys. And as always, if there, if there are topics you want us to be covering on the information corner, reach out, let me know, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to provide information that is helpful and timely. So reach out if you have anything you want us to cover. Thanks, um, that's it. Thanks again. Claire, thank you for inviting Chris and I. Yeah. It was a real honor to be a part of the community call. Great. Well, thank you, guys. Have a nice evening, everybody. Have a great evening. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Great job. Thanks.